faith that all of us are on in Christ. As John Steinbeck said, the author, the heart's like an onion. There's always another layer and each layer comes with some tears. You know, it's like once you stop doing all the things that are outwardly impacting you and other people, then God gets into the real nitty gritty of heart work. And not one of us is done with the great physician's heart surgery on our lives. God is doing a work in each of our lives. Maybe today you feel it very definitively. Pastor Daniel wants you to feel encouraged as you listen today that God's work is necessary and life-giving. It isn't easy and will likely involve discomfort, but it's all for the benefit of your walk with God. As we journey through this life, we can make the choice to avoid the hard work or we can let God dig into our lives and grow us into the best person he knows we can be. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 19 with part one of his message, Eternal Life Discovered. Now I know none of you can imagine it, but when I was in my late teens, my early 20s, I was quite the handful. And <laughs> you weren't even my parents. You guys are moaning and groaning on such a statement, you know. I was legitimately like a significant handful. And I remember I was in college, right? And so you start in college, at least where I went to school, you started in the dorms. And then after a couple of years, like, okay, we're going to get our own apartment. And so a bunch of my friends and I, we decided we were going to get apartments. So it was a three-bedroom apartment, six guys in a three-bedroom apartment, right? You think that's bad. See, it was actually a duplex. There was three bedrooms upstairs and three bedrooms downstairs. And six of our friends got the downstairs apartment. So you know that when you have 12 dudes in a six-bedroom house, it's bad. You know, it's like if one of us had a friend over, it's like you got a party, you know? And so I remember I lived in that house with my closest friends for about uh, four weeks, and I knew that I was significantly in trouble because I was taking a summer class. And I remember I walked out for my summer class, and I stepped into the kitchen, and my feet stuck to the floor, and I wasn't exactly the cleanest dude either, but it was nasty. So I decided I was going to get, I'm like, I got to move out of here. I love these guys. They're my friends. I can always go visit. I could be the one guy who makes the party, but I don't have to live in this like this. And so another friend of mine ended up transferring to our school. And so we decided we were going to get an apartment. So we ended up finding this really great three-bedroom apartment. And we decided there was only going to be three of us instead of two guys in a room. We're going like, to take care of this a little bit. And so, but we didn't have the third person. Everybody was already kind of squared away. And so my friend Mike said, well, I know this guy who's moving into the area because he wants to be in a campus ministry. And I thought to myself, I don't know what even that means. I wasn't a Christian, you know? <laughs> That's I don't even know what that means, but we needed a roommate. And so this guy named Nathan, he moved into our house. So me and my buddy Mike and this guy Nathan. And I feel so bad. I look back on this part of my life and I feel really horrible because Nathan was a, like, he was trying to walk with Jesus. And I was definitely not walking with Jesus. And this poor guy, I tormented this Christian guy. He was really bad. I wasn't trying to torment him. 
but I was tormenting him just the same. I was just being mean. I remember one day he got so frustrated with me, this guy, Nathan, that he just looked at me and he says, you are going to go to hell. You know, and I remember thinking to myself, well, if I'm not acting like you and I'm going to hell, that's probably where I belong. He was really angry, you know. I've thought back on that day so many times because like being him and me being where I was, like I would definitely think the same thing of myself, you know. But what was interesting about this guy was that he didn't know how to love me where I was. I've always thought about that because it's like, he was so right that he was wrong, right? And I remember when I gave my life to Jesus a number of years later, I remember my buddy Mike said, man, when Nathan sees you in heaven, he is going to lose his mind. <laughs> and that made me laugh. But it's like, this guy ended up, like, he left our apartment in five months. Like, I just can't live with this guy. That was pretty much what went on. And so he bounced. And so, but I bring this up because at that point in my life, You know, my mom was sick with cancer, and I remember I started really searching spiritually in that season. I was grappling with the mortality issues of my mom's illness, and I mean, kind of growing up without a spirituality, I remember at first all my friends were getting spiritual, and I said, well, you just do that because you think it's cool and you'll help you pick up chicks. And so I'm like, forget that. But I started really searching, and I remember this idea of what eternal life is all about. And not even just life after death, but like life right now. Like, what is life really all about? And in some ways, as I started reading, you know, and I had read the Quran a number of times, the Bhagavad Gita. I would hang out with Hare Krishnas. They'd give you free vegetarian food. And so when you're in college, free food, you eat it, you know? And so I would read, I would take philosophy classes, and I took religions of the Eastern world. And the question was, is like, what's life really about? That was like the big question. Along with that question was, well, what's life really about? And if there's a God, I want to know who that person is or isn't. And I was reading, obviously, there's a lot of atheism and agnosticism going on. And I remember I'm searching all this stuff, but the question is, is what's life really about? And whatever life is about, if there's a God associated with it, I want to know. And if there isn't, then I'm fine because I don't believe in God anyway. But if there was a God, it would be an interesting thing. And I remember... The passage that we're going to study today was one of those passages that when I had heard this and read this, it really kind of messed me up really good. Because Jesus, as he always is, Jesus just doesn't do things the most efficient and expedient way. Like, in some ways, Jesus is against the things that our culture values the most. He seems to have this great gift of taking an opportunity and kind of missing the opportunity. And Jesus has this amazing way of being so unique that he's startling. And I think sometimes for those of us who've been in church for a while, you've heard this stuff so often that it's like, it's lost almost its shock factor. That like, wait, he did what? What did he do? But Jesus is shocking a lot of times. And what we're going to say today is Jesus in kind of his shocking best almost. So open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, we're going to be taking verses 16 to 26. Make sure you grab a Bible. I want you to see what it says in the scriptures. I don't want you to just say, oh, this guy's just making these stories up because this is in the Bible. So Matthew chapter 19, it's the first book in what we call the New Testament. 
Of course, you guys know where chapter 19 is, between 18 and 20. Verse 16 says this. Now, behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Just let that sit in your heart for a second. All that just went on. Shocking the way Jesus acts sometimes. Now, I want to unpack this for you. And I think in some ways I've been so radically excited for this message because not only the impact that when I read this and started thinking about this for the first time it had on my life, but this is like Christianity 101. And the beauty with the Christian faith is you actually never graduate from Christianity 101. See, it's like, this is the main thing. As Alistair Begg, the great preacher, says, you know, the the main thing is the plain thing, and the plain thing is the main thing. And guess what? This is the main thing. Now, it begins with this guy, right? It says, one came to him and said, good teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Now, it's interesting that later on in verse 20 here, we find out that he was young and By the time we get to verse 22, we find out that he was also rich. Luke's gospel shares with us that he was a ruler. So this rich young ruler shows up. So you got to realize, Jesus' ministry is going around, and he's healing people, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and all these people are coming and interacting with Jesus. And one of the things I love so much about Jesus is that Jesus was available as much as he could be. You know, anybody could come up to Jesus and just talk to him about whatever. And I love that about the Lord. I mean, this is God in flesh. He's got time for everybody. And so this rich young ruler shows up and he has a question, an important question, where he says to him, what good things should I do that I may have inherited eternal life? He's got the million dollar question here. He's like, look, I want to do something good so that I may inherit what real life is, eternal life. So what should I do? And Jesus, as is always shocking, Jesus answers this question with, kind of a strange question. He says, well, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. And you got to love Jesus, right? Because the guy wants to know about eternal life. And Jesus is like, well, so 
Why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Do you ever wonder why Jesus says that there? See, I think what Jesus is getting at is this rich young ruler knows that there's something about Jesus. He knows that there's something about this man from Nazareth. There's just something about him. And he sees a quality in Jesus that he's not seeing anywhere else. And guess what? We live in a day and age, even though this happened 2,000 years ago and Jesus walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, people today have the same thought. There's something about that guy, Jesus. And even if you're here to, and, and you don't necessarily believe in Jesus, the reason you're even here or part of our internet campus or watching on Facebook Live is because you know that there's something about this guy. Like, how does an unemployed carpenter in the middle of nowhere in the Roman Empire has abiding value 2,000 years later? How is it possible? Now, one of the ways people say it's possible is they say, well, people who believe in Jesus are backwards. They're like, it's so retro. Like, who could believe in such things? But when you actually read Jesus and don't just dismiss him out of hand because he's an ancient figure as if only new things are good things. You know what I mean? We live in a culture. If it's new, it's good. If it's old, it's bad. But a lot of the old things are the most awesome things, aren't they? You know, I remember when Paul McCartney joined Kanye West on stage and all the younger generation, like, man, I don't know who that guy was, but I'm sure he's getting famous because he's on stage with Kanye. <laughs> I love that. And maybe I just love, I thought that was so awesome. Like, listen, it's like Paul McCartney doesn't really need Kanye for fame. It's like he's one of the most famous guys in history. But we have this idea that if it's new, it's cool and good. And if it's old, it's bad. But you know a great old car. If you got an old baseball card, you restore a beautiful old house. You know what I mean? The older something is, the more value it has. So I'm not saying everything old is better and new is bad. But people want to dismiss Jesus. But when you hear what the things he has to say, the teachings of Jesus are extraordinarily important. Because there is something about Jesus. Because he, I like to say that Jesus is God with skin on. Or you could say it a number of different ways. You say, people always say like Jesus is God-like. Do you ever think that God is Jesus-like? Because the Father and Son, they're one God. You see the eternal qualities of God in the seemingly temporal qualities of Jesus in flesh. So there's something about him and this rich young ruler knows it and Jesus calls him on it. Why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, but that's God. And he's saying, you see something in me. You see that I'm God. You see that I'm onto something. And then from there, Jesus begins to speak to this guy about his question. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandment. So let me give you this principle. I think this is so important. Brothers and sisters, perfect obedience brings eternal life. That's what Jesus, that's how he answers the question. That perfect obedience brings eternal life. This is at the baseline. You want to know how do I attain to eternal life? How do I know, how do I live in such a way that God's unabashed stamp of approval is on my life? You need to perfectly obey God's commandments. Perfect obedience brings eternal life. Now, this guy hears this, keep the commandments, and he says right away, well, which ones? And then Jesus begins to quote 
some of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You should honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you remember from Exodus chapter 20, and it's reiterated in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Big Ten Commandments. And really, Jesus is quoting from the second tablet of the law. Remember, there's these two tablets that God gives to Moses. On the first tablet, it's all the things in a person's relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before him. You shall not make any carved image. You shall keep God's name in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath, right? And so all of those are about our relationships with God. And then the second tablet of the 10, it deals with human ethics, how you should treat other people. And you have something quite simple as you shall not murder, which you would think that we would live in a culture that people would have gotten this already, But it's amazing that people can love kids and want to systematically abort 58 million of them in 50 years. But we live in a world where human life is fragile and people don't really care about it anymore. There's not a day that goes by. You look on the news and who got shot? Who happened this happened? Who did this? Who got behind the wheel of a car? And all this stuff goes on and you realize that the most basic things about humanity, like don't be evil to one another... Like, we still don't get it yet. Don't hurt people. Don't take their life. Why? Because life is fragile and it's important. But he says, don't murder. And really what he's doing is he goes through some of the second tablet. He hits the sixth commandment, which is shall not murder. He hits the seventh commandment, shall not commit adultery, which is keep your marriage set apart, one man and one woman, one flesh for one life right? Shall not steal, right? That's the eighth commandment, like honor other people's private property. Shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment. And then Jesus adds in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is Leviticus 19, 18. And really what it is, is remember when they asked Jesus to sum up the entire law, he was able to say, you should love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So he puts all these things together and notice this guy because this guy responds and he says, he says, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now get this, this is a rich young guy who's a ruler and now he's a deeply religious guy. He liked the apostle Paul because the apostle Paul said according to the law was blameless in Philippians 3. This guy is saying, I've done all that, but what am I missing? Now, I think this is what's super important. Because remember what I said? I said, perfect obedience brings eternal life. But this guy can say, I kept all of them, but I'm still missing something. And brothers and sisters, you want basic reality about what Christianity is all about? It's this. Perfect obedience brings eternal life, but nobody keeps everything perfectly. See, this guy, in accordance with the letter of the law, he's God. He's like, I've done all this stuff. But when you step back from just rule keeping and you look at hearts and motivations, this guy realized there's stuff missing. Now, I think this is super important because in our day and age, people have the tendency to believe eternal life comes to anybody who is alive and is on Facebook or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like if you have a pulse, then you deserve eternal life. But that is not what any spiritual teacher teaches anywhere, any religion, and definitely not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that if you want eternal life, you need to be perfectly obedient to the standards that God has set. And the problem is, is that all of us 
fail at keeping those standards. This rich young ruler is just like you and I. Because, yeah, you might say, well, listen, maybe I never murdered anybody and I've never, you know, cheated on my spouse and, you know, and I try and love people as best I can. But deep down, when you look at your life, you realize, you know, there is some stuff that I'm missing here. There's some stuff I just don't have. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus is not some sort of pie-in-the-sky idealist who just says, oh, don't worry about it. Just, you know, be you and just have a blast. YOLO, you know? That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is a realist. But Jesus wants to probe into this guy's heart. And I think that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in each one of our lives. Because you can really easily see this and be like, oh, well, you know, like, this guy, you know, is not like me. But yeah, this is a very deeply religious, fairly well-to-do guy who's got responsibilities. See, it's really easy within the institution of church to, I don't do all those things that I shouldn't do. And you start to believe that now God owes you something or because I don't do all those things, my journey with Jesus is done. No, 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 no. In a lot of ways, the walk of faith that all of us are on in Christ, as John Steinbeck said, the author, the heart's like an onion. There's always another layer and each layer comes with some tears. You know, it's like once you stop doing all the things that are outwardly impacting you and other people, then God gets into the real nitty gritty of heart work. And not one of us is done with the great physician's heart surgery on our lives. Not one of us here, God is finished working on, fixing. I want to get at this thing now. I want to get at this thing now. But in a lot of ways, like this rich young ruler, we could be making the mistake of thinking, well, yeah, I don't do all the big stuff. Or maybe you do do the big stuff, you're just really good at hiding it. And you have to remember, there ain't nothing hidden because God sees all things. And I don't say that as some sort of a threat. That's just stone cold reality. But you know what God's plan is when we have secret hidden sins is that we, because all things are seen, we bring those things out into the light on our own volition. We start sharing with people, look, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here. That's called confession. And that word confession means to say the same thing as what God says about it. And the beauty is, is in Christ, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. Because the whole gospel message is the fact that if perfect obedience brings eternal life, none of us have eternal life given the way that we're living our lives every single day. But there's more to that story. But if you're one of those folks, you've been in church for a while, but you got some secret stuff, I want to encourage you, bring that stuff into the light. Share it. There's something so freeing when we bring our struggles into the light because people who love Jesus, they're not going to be like, oh, I can't believe you would do that. They start to pray for you and they start to encourage you and they allow these next steps to be taken. See, when you bring something into the light, it says that God is faithful and just to forgive us those sins and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. Jesus is In today's message, we learned that the only way we can achieve eternal life is to follow God's standard perfectly and without deviation. 
that's quite the goal to set. And as Pastor Daniel reminded us, completely unattainable by any human being. God knew we'd never be able to live up to his standard, but he didn't leave us stranded. Jesus was sent to earth to redeem us all and open the doorway to a new life with him. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland on Sundays at 10 a.m. We're growing, and honestly, not just in Southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, crossroadslive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next edition of Jesus' Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share the response of the rich young ruler to Jesus' standard of a perfect life. This might be a bit of a spoiler, but the young man didn't have a favorable attitude about the requirements. His response reveals a deeper heart issue that we too face in our walk with Jesus. At times we'll all be asked to do something difficult in order to deepen and strengthen our faith. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Real Talk. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.